like uh, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is the, the gospel physically displayed where the preaching of the gospel is the, the auditory presentation. And it's the same when it comes to singing. God has ordained, He has given us singing. He has put it into the, uh, as a component part of our worship service because it, singing has an effect upon us. And therefore, it's important for us uh, to do that, to sing. Uh, so Psalm 123 and 124, I wanted to bundle these together. Everybody's bundling things today, East Link and uh, Telus. We're all getting bundled, so we're going to bundle this up tonight in two uh, uh, psalms uh, because they are looking at the, uh, fairly well the, the same theme. And uh, so we want to kind of take these two things together and look at, um, again, these songs of ascent. Pilgrim songs, um, psalms on the journey, songs on the way, the soundtrack of our lives, as as uh, one person has called it. You often hear that, don't you? Uh, uh, you know, you'll you'll hear on the radio. Oh well, here going back to the 70s and 80s and all these great hits. Oh, that's the soundtrack of our lives. The Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, and all these. Those were the songs I, you know. Growing up, and you, you really love those songs, but the Psalms are the soundtrack of our lives. They are the songs that carry us through our lives in a way that many of these old songs, as much as we uh, love them and listen to them and so on, uh, we are to be especially familiar with the book of Psalms because they, they are songs on the way, songs on our journey. And as we've been seeing, uh, the, the, the psalmist talking about going up. And uh, in Psalm 121, um, uh, lifting his eyes to the hills, maybe the distant hills of Jerusalem. And then Psalm 122 that we saw last time, arriving in the house of God. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. In other words, it's a, 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 a place where uh, these pilgrims uh, rarely find themselves. And so here they are. They're glad to be in the, in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple precincts, seeing all that's going on, seeing the sacrifices, seeing the instituted way in which God is now drawing close to us again through His mercy, that on the basis of the death of this animal, God is drawing near to us. Now, of course, we see that in a new way in Jesus. When we go to church, we don't take, uh, thankfully, lambs and bulls and goats through the door to offer as a sacrifice, but we hear of the great sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Oh, there's sacrifice all over the place still. We we hear of the of the sacrifice of the true Lamb of God on our behalf to save us from our sins. And we also, as we come through the door, bring our sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. And instead of these animals, we are bringing the, the adoration, the praise and the thanks of our hearts to the God who loved us in that way. That's important for us to understand that God loved us supremely in a particular way. 
That's John 3.16. For God so loved, He loved the world in this way, in that He gave His only begotten Son. And so we've been seeing in a lot of these Psalms the theme of journey, but we've been seeing the theme of the difficulty on that journey. It was true back in the Exodus when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They came into the wilderness, but there were challenges. There were the serpents. There were the, uh, there were the uh, insects. There was the heat. There was the cold. There were all these challenges along the way between A and B. Not only that, there were nations. There were people, if you can imagine, this is the... A, a, a part of the land, and up here is uh, a Balaam. You remember a Balaam? He was sent to curse the people of Israel. So he's standing up top here. The people of Israel are spread out like uh, sand on the seashore uh, uh, below, and he's been paid by another man called Balak, Balak, and Balaam, and Balak. He was a king who paid Balaam, come and curse them. And every time Balaam went to curse them, he blessed them. Because God, as it were, took over his mouth and through him blessed the people of God. And one of the greatest Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus was spoken through Balaam. A star shall arise out of Judah. And that was about Jesus. And so that fails. And so he says, come, to, come over here and up, up top here and, and curse them. That didn't work. Come over here and curse them from there. Maybe you just need a change of scenery. And every time Balaam went to curse them, uh, he blessed them. But it, 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 it's... It's emblematic of the challenges that we face on the way. Maybe the children of Israel knew nothing about what was going on there until much later. Unaware, blissfully ignorant of how the devil, through this person Balaam, was trying to destroy them, destroy their lives. As the devil seeks to destroy our lives today. That's the first thing we want to see in these two psalms, is the fury of the enemy. Look at what he says in verse 3 of Psalm 123. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. So you see the, the pleading, the, the desperation. Have mercy. And that's one of God's favorite words. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our souls had more than enough of scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. And then he says in 124, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, you notice he repeats it there, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. 
when their anger was kindled against us. Then the floods would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Now, we have two choices here. We can either say this was something germane only to that people, and we know nothing of that here in PEI in 2021. Or we can say, as the Bible makes clear throughout, that this is something that is particular to God's people in all ages. And we need to remind ourselves that we in the West make up a, small, a minority of what makes up the Christian church. The majority of the Christian church are facing this every day. Floods, ravenous wolves, beasts who seek to destroy them. Um, we can read in our prayer notes, in our bulletin, about uh, uh, Christian people who are struggling. People in Nigeria. I just read this week of a pastor who was, who was slaughtered. Killed. And th that's every week. You get these prayer notes, three, four items to pray for, and oftentimes people are killed by the dozen. This, this is a living reality. But that doesn't mean that we are, are, are uh, um, isolated from these things ourselves. It speaks of the contempt that, uh, that the people of God suffered. And that, again, was something quite relevant to um, the, the, the people of God. If we think of the uh, Nehemiah, for example... Uh, when he was talking about the opposition that they faced in chapter 2 of Nehemiah in verse 19, uh, it says, but when Senbala, these, these are neighbors. You see, they had come back from, from Babylon. They were rebuilding the temple. They were re rebuilding the city. And here is this person, Senbala, who is in, in opposition to what they're doing. When they heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us, saying, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Then over in chapter 4, Again, it says, now when Sanballat heard we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews and said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. And then Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. And so on. And so 
here you have the very same ingredients that the psalmist is talking about here in Psalm 123. The taunts and the jeers. Starting out to follow God and then having the devil right on your heels. Ready to pull the rug out. Knowing the value of your soul. And seeking to destroy that soul by sometimes the words of people around us. Did you know that the devil can work in people around us? Who, who are animated by the devil to pour scorn on our drawing near to God. We, just as it was with the people who were trying to build the city. You see, that, that in itself was a journey. That itself was a path that they were on. They could sing a song of ascent as they were taking bricks and mortar and putting them together to rebuild the walls of the city. And these people, Tobiah and Senvalet, are typical of the world who are animated by the power of darkness to swallow up our souls with an insatiable appetite. This is what the psalmist is saying, you see. He's, he's um, asking God, our souls have had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Doesn't that sum up those two people that we were just reading about, Sanballat and Tobiah? And do, uh, doesn't it typify many in our world today? People in our family, maybe our friends who don't understand uh, uh, where we're going and what we're doing. You're not going to church, are you? Weren't you to church this morning? What's wrong with you? Don't you have your head screwed on right? Why would you give that money when you could be, you know, a new this or a new that, and you're, you're sending it off to this person who knows where? Contempt. Contempt of those who are at ease. Those who may jeer at you for suggesting that you need a Savior. They feel they don't. Why would I need a Savior? I'm a good person. I haven't hurt anyone, killed anyone, told any, any lies. Oh, well, I'm sure everybody tells lies. I might have told one or two, but never killed anyone. I've, you know, I'm a pretty decent living person. You see, they're proud, and they mock at this idea of a... Of, Believing in a Savior that died 2,000 years ago. And that unless you believe in that Savior, you will perish eternally. Oh, we can't believe in that in this day and age. We're too scientifically minded. We're too broad-minded to, to entertain such things. And so the world pours contempt and scorn on the very idea of it. And it wears us down. Let's face it, it does. We feel ourselves drawing back. We feel ourselves sometimes ashamed of the positions we hold in a, in, in, in a, in a, 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 a secular culture. We make apologies for it. It wears us down. It's not easy holding a, minor, a minority position when the majority are believing something else. 
And so we see the, the, the voracious appetite of these people. There are many adversaries to the, the children of God. And they're headed by the devil himself. As one says, he's depicted as a lion for strength. He's a serpent for subtlety. And a dragon for fierceness. This is the devil. And he works most powerfully when we're sometimes at our strongest. When we're sometimes at our most confident. Peter is the great example of that, isn't he? Where straight out of his great confession of Jesus being the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus began to say to them, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of the Jews and He will be crucified. And he will." Peter, full of bravado, just after having been told by Jesus of the greatness of His remark, of His confession, he steps up with chest out and he says, Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. Don't you worry. We've got this. Get thee behind me, Satan. For you desire the things that be of man and not of God. How would Peter have felt? How do you imagine Peter would have felt after straight off having shown strength and, and this blessed confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he was right. But there was the devil not far off, using Peter's pride, something, something positive that happened in his life in, very, in a very short period of time. Peter took that and processed it into pride. He wasn't watchful. Neither was he watchful on the night before Jesus died. You will all leave me, Jesus said. Oh, though all leave you, Peter says, though everyone leaves you, I will never leave you. Before the cock crows, you will deny three times that you know me, Peter. You see, friends, that is the devil raging. That is the devil seeking to swallow us alive. Peter... Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. Peter, you think you're strong. You think you've got the world by the tail. You think you're going to be vice president when the kingdom is ushered in. But you are like wheat that is easily blown away. You have no stability. And that's why the psalmist says here, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, and let me say it again, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. In other words, everybody together now. Let's all say it together. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. When people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrents would have gone over us. 
Then over us would have gone the raging waters. <laughs> you see, you don't have to have water. You don't have to have wind. You don't have to have a devil standing right in front of you. But you have to understand your life in spiritual terms because we are more than the physical. We have a soul. We have a spirit. We deal in spiritual things. We have a spiritual enemy. The devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is, this is where faith comes in, you see, friends. Being able to see the unseen, not only the Lord, but to see the unseen enemy that we have out there. Recognizing that we have an enemy of our souls. And he manifests himself sometimes when the sun is out and the birds are, are, are singing and everything seems to be well. And we again are drawing great confidence in our own strength and our own abilities, our prospects for the future, our accomplishments in the past, and we're just on the road, as Peter was. He was on the road. He was looking back at the things he said. He was looking forward to the prospect of the coming kingdom. And he was looking not to Jesus. He was not looking at his own weaknesses, but he was looking to himself. And that's where the devil was able to waltz in. Not just sneak in, but waltz in to his life. And the devil came in like a flood. You can imagine, there is Peter, one of the leaders in the early church, and on two occasions that we know of in the Gospels, Jesus has to address him with regards to his relationship to Satan. Now he is a leader in the early church. What does that tell you about the ferocity of the devil to destroy the work of Jesus? That Jesus on two occasions, get behind me, Satan, and then on the last night he was alive, says, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Wow. He must have been really on the heels of Peter, right? Peter was just blissfully ignorant. Well, huh? what do you mean? Well, I'll leave you. I will never leave you. What's the big deal? And we often say that. What is the big deal? I don't get it. I don't see it. And yet Jesus had to directly challenge Peter. See, this is the way it is. He he draws back the curtain. He says, Peter, this is what's really going on. Don't you see it? No, you're too busy saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. and I've got this strength and I've got this confidence and I, I've got a, a few things I'd like to do as well. Jesus was drawing back the curtain and says, look, here's what's really going on. Do you see it? And friends, we are the same. We, all we need to do is look into the Word. We only need to look at our lives, our own experience. I only need to look back on my own life and see where 
the devil was active and at work through times when I thought I was strong. This is what he's doing. This is what he's, he's getting across to them. Not good enough for them to read it. Sing it. Let it be the soundtrack of your life, of how weak you are. Let it be the soundtrack of your life, how dependent upon the Lord you are. Let it be part of the soundtrack of your life, how the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the power that the devil has in this world. Sing about it. Not only talk about it, but let it be a part of your songs. Do you know what the wonderful thing about this is as well? Is that Jesus experienced these things. The, the psalmist here talks about his enemies like voracious wolves. They would have swallowed us up alive with their teeth laid bare. But you know what? When Jesus was on the cross, He said, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Our Savior voluntarily gave Himself over to these ravenous wolves. And He was destroyed by them. The psalmist here talks about the the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Jesus says again in Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up unto my soul. I am come into deep water where the floods overflow me. We have a Savior who said, I will go and I will enter into that realm and I will be consumed by them so that you won't have to be. So that you can find strength and deliverance and mercy when you call, I will be near. If it had not been the Lord who was what? On our side. How is the Lord on our side? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. We need Jesus. Because when the devil comes after us, again with those teeth, with that venom, with that passion to destroy our souls, to accuse us, then we are able to take refuge in the blood of Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised and was at the right hand of God. Who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
The devil can't win. He can't consume. But that comes with a caveat. When we're in the Lord, when we draw near to Him through Jesus, the One who was consumed, who allowed Himself to be consumed by the wild dogs and the bulls of Bashan and the flood waters that went over His soul, so that you and I would be delivered. But it means we must draw near. Draw near to this God. The God that loved us in this way. Because A, we recognize the fury of our enemy to destroy our souls, his hatred for our souls, his desire to destroy our lives and to bring it to rack and ruin. But we also recognize the provision that God has made for us in Jesus His Son to restore, to make us whole. And this is what the blessed hope is. To you I lift my eyes. Verse 1 of 123. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. And then he says in verse 6 of the next one, Next psalm, blessed be the Lord who has not given us over as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken and we have escaped. See, again, the, the subtlety of the devil. He sets the snare. It's under the bushes. You don't recognize it. You're too busy gawking around, looking at what, what's life got to offer. What's going on in my life? The, we don't see the snare. This is his hope. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler. It's wonderful downstairs. Sometimes we get a bird down in the basement. Usually a couple of times a year, flying back and forth. Poor little birds. Sometimes they don't make it. But it's wonderful to be able to go down and open the window and see that terrified little bird just go flying out the window into the fresh air not banging up against that glass, desperately, desperately, desperately trying to get out that window. But opening the window, and it's such a picture. It always speaks to me. That's our souls. Jesus came, and He opened a window. And our souls are set free. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. This is our hope. It never changes. Whether we're in the book of Genesis, the book of Psalms, Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Romans, Revelation, it's always the same. Our help is in the name of the Lord. It is never in us. It always emphasizes our weakness, but it emphasizes the supremacy of God. But isn't it wonderful that God's supremacy is not seen in simply in raw power, but in His love. You see, it wasn't just raw power that saved our souls. It was the weakness of Jesus in offering Himself on the cross. God! Himself coming, the Son of God in the person of Jesus Christ, making Himself vulnerable and hanging on that cross, dying in weakness, in shame, under the wrath of God. You see, that's what it cost Him. 
That's where the supremacy of God really comes to the fore. You see, none of this would matter. None of this would be true had it not been for the fact that Jesus put the money in the bank and this check is cashed when Jesus dies on the cross. The psalmist could not have boasted about a relationship with God had it not been for the fact that the, his, the Son of God hung on that cross. The cross is the key to these psalms. Whether it's the people from the Old Testament looking forward or us looking back. We cannot say that the Lord is on our side unless we have a relationship with the One who bled and died and who showed His love to us in that way. And so, he says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant, the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy on us. Servants watch for their employer's directions for many reasons. Not only does the, the employer supply them with what they need, but also give them direction in how to deal with the challenges at hand. And when we look to the Lord with this dependence, the, the dependence of a, of, of, a, of a servant or a maidservant, continually looking, say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, how can I face this situation? What must my next step be? And so what, what are we doing? We're looking to Him. And He gives us clear direction. First thing you need to do is draw near to Me. Come unto Me all that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you're burdened, if you're broken, Jesus says, come to Me. Just as this, these maidservants and, and, and servants are looking, they're saying, what would you have Me to do? I'm waiting upon you. On your every word, your wish is My command. We go to Him and we find rest. We go to Him and we find direction in dealing with our enemies. And I think there's much wisdom here as well that we are, at the end of the day, servants of God. We don't take matters into our own hands when we're dealing with our enemies. People who hold us in contempt. People who don't agree with what we say. Whether it be people in our family or friends or people at work, wherever. They may not imbibe or, or agree and so they maybe pour contempt it might be a dirty look it may be a sarcastic comment how do we deal with them do we deal from a worldly point of view or do we look to our our lord and say lord what would you have me to do jesus says if someone strikes you on the one cheek turn the other give them the other paul uh, for example says in romans 12 he says bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This too is looking to the Lord 
to say, He will deliver me in this situation. But my response to my enemy must also be in keeping with who I am as a child of God. Not trying to get revenge on that person. If they make a dirty, snide remark against me, I don't respond in kind. But I pray for the person. I try to understand that they're not in their right mind, that they are under the influence of the power of darkness and what they are saying and what they are doing. So rather than having hatred against them, I have pity for them. And I seek to overcome their evil by showing love and kindness. You see, we are not our own. We belong to Him. Because we're living at a different level. We're living with a different ethos. We're living before the One who made the heavens and the earth. And that's, that's what we see here. To You, O Lord, I lift my eyes. You who are enthroned in the heavens. And then at the end of 124, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. So friends, it's a recipe for us. It's a window into the unseen. It explains things in our lives in a way that we can't explain them from a, simply a human point of view. That's the genius of the Word of God. It's like putting on glasses. And when you put those glasses on, you're able to see things you've never been able to see before. You're seeing the, the unseen. And the psalmist here is giving us a window into our own weaknesses, into our own brokenness apart from Christ. But He's showing us as well as the strength and the hope that we have in God alone. Not going it on our own. Not hoping for the best in ourselves. But committing ourselves to the love of God, to the mercy of God, to the power of God, to the wisdom of God who knows, our knows us in our lives, who loves us and cares for us in a way that nobody else in this world does. And our wisdom then is to be like this maidservant and this manservant who look at their, their master and say, I wait for you, my Lord. My soul does wait. Let's pray.